Hi there, my name is Matthias and I'm a psychotherapist in Spokane, Washington. And this is a podcast about mental health and moving towards what's meaningful, even despite hardship. Today is particularly meaningful because I get to talk to my little brother, Ben. And I just, I love him so much. And, and we got to talk today reflecting on the video that you're about to listen to the audio to. It's, a, it's of a conversation that happened maybe eight or nine months ago where Ben, you know, kind of came to me and was like, hey, I want to maybe, I don't know, just come out publicly as a gay man. And he, he's come out to just people in his life and to relationships and to our family. Like, and you know, that's, so it's, it's maybe not like his first um, walk through that doorway, but he's like, I, I just don't know if I've really created a public announcement of that. And then we were just exploring what it means to make a public announcement, or even if that's necessary, like, do you want to make a big old thing about it? Or does it feel personal? Like, you know, what, uh, you know, what feels good or enriching about it to you? And I think he, he said something really profound. He's just like, I just know there's tons of people like me that are struggling with the integration of faith and their sexual orientation. And I think that, um, you know, if we were to talk about my story, if we were to talk about that struggle, I know that there'd be people who are feeling the same way. And, and maybe that could be helpful. And I thought that was a pretty cool motivation to make something like this. And so uh, I interviewed him. I interviewed him about what it was like to grow up gay in a Christian household and in church, that um, all, the, all the dynamics around shame and the motivations for wanting to be closer to God, but also feeling like your sexuality is a boundary to that. That's, so that's kind of all the, I don't know, the conversation that we explore. And the journey away from shame, the journey away from feeling like you have to cut a piece of yourself out in order to connect with what matters to you most. It's kind of the conversation. And, you know, just so, you know, there's no surprises or anyone feels frustrated or anything. He, he kind of takes this paradoxical, in-the-middle kind of view that doesn't fit cleanly really into like a really conservative expression of sexual orientation or like, I don't know, the LGBTQ community that, um, you know, that has no limitations or ways where they view any of that as problematic. And, and he, he has kind of a sophisticated, different view that is kind of all his own. And um, this isn't really a conversation trying to convince anyone what the right or wrong answer to any of that is or what people should or shouldn't do in reference to their sexual orientation. That's it's not the topic at all. It's a topic about Ben. It's a conversation about his life and his values and what matters to him. And in taking a very difficult position that a lot of people would look at and say, oh, that's not congruent. That's, um, that's not it. And so it, for that reason, I think it takes a tremendous amount of courage for him to step forward and, and to be open to sharing his voice with people. And so there's a tender vulnerability in this conversation as well. So I hope that you enjoy it. I hope that you see um, Ben's heart and it's, it's a relationship that continually molds and changes and challenges and enriches me. I respect Ben so much. After you're done listening, uh, we released a podcast at the same time that's just kind of a reflection almost, uh, I don't know, eight or nine months later from filming that video or Ben and I just talk about what it's like having that story out in public in front of a lot of people. And so that's a fun conversation as well. So make sure to tune into that after you listen to this one. Um, all right, let's roll tape. You and I have had these conversations for years around kind of the intersection of faith and sexual orientation. Why, why do you want to talk about this right now? Why do you want to talk about it publicly? Uh, yeah, I think there's a couple, a couple reasons. Um, 
the main reason being um, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. <laughs> um, I teach middle through high school band. Yeah. yeah. And um, one of the main focuses of what I teach my kids is the importance of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. uh, being open and honest with each other even when it requires a lot of courage mm -hmm. to be able to do so. Um, and it's kind of weird teaching my kids that and not feeling like in my own personal life that I'm exhibiting that. Um, and I feel like I exhibit that really well in the context of my classroom. Like my kids um, are all very aware of, well I shouldn't say very aware, good grief. Um, <laughs> no, they're aware, they're, they're aware. aware. They're aware of the fact that I'm gay. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've told them how that's kind of impacted my journey. Um, you know, as a teacher and as just a person, um, I feel like it's really valuable um, for my students to be able to hear um, hear about that part of my life, and not because not not really for any reason other than um, I want my relationship with them to be authentic. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be perfect teacher. Mm -hmm. um, I want them to see what it looks like to have walked through a path and struggled and come out on the other end still okay. Mm -hmm. uh, they need that example. Mm -hmm. um, so I, um, I'm open and honest with them, but I don't feel like in my personal life, um, in my everyday relationships with other people that I'm fully open and honest. So I wanna be able to come out and say like, this is who I am, mm -hmm. um, I'm gay, I'm a Christian, um, and that is a confusing uh, pair for a lot of people and I think the other reason why I want to talk about it is just to bring awareness to the fact that there's a lot of people in that position um, trying to be Christian and gay trying to figure out those two yeah what does it mean to be a gay Christian yeah. um, it's a difficult conversation for mm -hmm. sure well tell me a little bit about maybe just to have some context for this conversation tell me about maybe when you learned that you were gay and realized that about yourself? It was around the age of 15, 14, well, let me go back further. Um, I had been bullied for it pretty much my entire life, like late elementary school when kids learn what gay is, um, and basically through school um, for the rest of my life, people had been um, assuming I was gay, um, calling me gay slurs. Um, Why is that? <laughs> mainly because I really liked cats. <laughs> was, I, I just really loved them. Uh, I, drew them I drew them all over my binders. Yeah, I wore t-shirts with them. This big tiger mural on your wall. Yeah, How many beanie I still babies? do. How many um, beanie babies did you have? Hundreds. Hundreds, hundreds of cat hundreds beanie babies. Of specifically cat beanie babies. Yeah, yeah. and a couple frogs. <laughs> Um, for me, um, having, having not realized it yet, um, I was just so, um, there was a lot of dismay mm. because growing up, um, in a Christian household and maybe unintentionally on our parents' part, um, but I grew up thinking it was the worst possible thing you could be. 
Mm. Um, without, and that's that's before I knew I was. Like it, it had the complications of now realizing I'm gay and that making it worse. Mm. Um, that hadn't happened yet. So I grew up horrifically, um, horrifically homophobic. Mm. Um, There's a cultural context that was like, this is the worst of the worst. Literally the absolute worst thing you could do. So when people were making fun of you in school for being gay because you like cats. They're literally they're literally telling me I'm the worst possible thing that I can be. Wow. Um, and so it, it it just wrecked me as a kid. And um, through middle school, I uh, that was the the bulk of that bullying happened in sixth grade. Um, I got through sixth grade, and then seventh grade came, and I just couldn't. Um, I couldn't stand it. I had to drop out of school um, and be homeschooled for a year. Um, and through that time, I had kind of been battling with um, some suicidal thoughts and um, just a lot of um, confusion um, during that time. I loved being homeschooled. Mm -hmm. That was great because um, I got to escape from all of that and was kind of doing school on my own schedule and I didn't know you were in such maybe like a deep depression around seventh grade. Yeah, Suicide yeah, I thoughts. was. I didn't know that. Um, and maybe part of the reason that I ended up being a band teacher, music really ended up being something that saved me. Hmm. Um, during that time, I would listen to the classical music station um, as I went to sleep because it would distract me from. That was normally when all of those thoughts would be running through my head was when I was trying to go to sleep. So I'd listen to classical music and um, I could focus on what was happening there instead of... Um, what about it was comforting to you? Just the familiarity, um, the predictability. Classical Music Station only played Beethoven, Mozart, Bach. Um, <laughs> and so it was like I knew what was coming. It was like, it was like this environment that you knew that you were safe and that there was something interesting about it? Or yeah. there was something comforting? How well, and it, it was distracting. You know, it, it never, like, I didn't have to think about the fact that I wanted to kill myself mm. because I could think about what was happening in the music. Mm. Um, and that ended up being really, really helpful for me. Um, and when I, when I did switch to being homeschooled, I stayed in band. Mm. Um, so I'd, I'd be homeschooled for most of the day. I'd go to the school for band class and then... Um, that was it. Um, so I still had some contact, but band kids are awesome. <laughs> they don't they don't bully you because they are the bullied usually. Mm, <laughs> so um, yeah. so I they that was a community that was just so um, welcoming for me and accepting. And um, my teachers um, in both of my music classes, I was in choir and I was in band, mm -hmm. um, and I had uh, their names at the time. Uh, Miss Carlson and Miss Beck, no, that's her first name. Becky's her first name. Miss Carlson and Miss Belk. Belk. Yeah, Miss Carlson. Becky and Belk? Belk. Becky Belk. Yeah, that's a hard. That's a good name. Yeah. It's alliterative. Um, they're both married now, um, so they have different last names. But um, yeah, I would through the through eighth grade. Um, a lot of those bullies were still in like my homeroom class um, and after the the kind of novelty of me being back wore off and everybody got past the oh we're glad you're back um, the bullying continued um, maybe not as severe but it was still there um, and so I was able to 
um, kind of escape that by going to the band room and to the choir room. Mm. Um, during my homeroom class, I would always ask for a pass mm-hmm. um, to go to one of those rooms. And it was probably like, thinking back on it as a teacher now, if I had a kid coming in every single day during my plan period, that would get kind of frustrating. <laughs> so I, I, I recognize the sacrifice yeah, that they were making at yeah, that time. Yeah. Uh, but, mm. you know, we would, we would just talk about just super normal stuff. I remember this conversation I had with Miss um, Belk about rubber mallets, rubber mallets on percussion <laughs> instruments, um, which are literally, it's just a ball of rubber on a stick that you hit the percussion instrument with. Um, and they don't, they barely make any sound. Um, and I was just like, why would someone use these? Why? And so I asked her, I'm like, Miss Belk, what, what, why do you use these mallets? They don't make any sound. And she was like, oh, I give those to kids that can't play their parts so that we don't hear how bad they are. And I was just like, oh, that's why she gives this kid rubber mallets. Like, I, and I totally believed her. And now that I'm a band teacher, I know like that's that's not what rubber mallets are for. Why would they mass produce an entire mallet for the purpose of hiding your kids that suck? You know, that'd be so terrible. Um, but it, it it was those kind of conversations that just allowed me to feel like I was at home and that I was. Um, welcome there and that I was accepted there and I didn't have anything to worry about um, and so yeah Miss Carlson and Miss Belk I was in their classroom pretty much every every chance I could get um, and I, re- I really appreciated it that's a safe place yeah that's safe so, haven high school did you continue on with those kids or was that different? Um, yeah so high school I choiced into a different school um, the school that I went to, Challenger, uh, fed into a high school called Pine Creek. Um, and I didn't go to Pine Creek, I went to Rampart, Rampart High School. Mm-hmm. Um, Mom and Dad forced me to go there because they had a killer jazz program. And at the time I hated jazz. Um, <laughs> now I love jazz, yeah. it's great. Yeah. But uh, I was like, I was so mad at them. Yeah, better um, band program. Better band program. Um, and so that's, that's where I ended up going. Um, and the first activity that I ended up being involved in was marching band. Mm-hmm. Um, and I played the bass clarinet. Um, and my first year, I was in a section of me and seven girls. Mm. Um, and to this day, like, most bass clarinet players are girls. And I don't know why that is. Mm-hmm. We can reflect on that another time. Yes. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> um, but anyway. Um, yeah, so I was in a section of seven other girls, which I really appreciated because I had an easier time connecting with girls. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were easier to talk to. I understood them a lot better. Um, and that that was just such a welcoming community. I felt like I fit right in. Um, and in high school, too, like, it, it, you didn't really interact with kids outside of your realm. Like, if you're a band kid, you're hanging out with band kids most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so high school was great. Um, the bullying never really happened. I had a couple moments where people would um, try to try to pull something. But honestly, mm-hmm. those those seven girls, they came in and, like, yeah. <laughs> shut it down. Yeah, yeah. They wanted nothing to do with it. So yeah. I, yeah, I really appreciated them. Um, yeah, so I, I didn't really realize the 
full capacity of the fact that I was gay until after my sophomore year. Um, I, it, it originally was just an interest um, in men in general, um, like just the, the, the physique of men. It was just like, oh, that's interesting. And I kept telling myself, oh, that's interesting. Um, and researched with more, with, with increasing um, interest. Interest and intent, yeah. Um, and so, and eventually it got to a point where um, Dad had seen some of the stuff that I was looking at, um, and he came and talked to me about it. He's like, "Listen, we there's something we need to talk about. Yeah. Um, I see what you've been looking at, and um, at that point, I was kind of that conversation. I was kind of hit in the face with like, this is the reality of who I am." Hmm. And was that dad who said that, or was no. that just no? Because uh, I had been worried about it. Mm. You know, I the interest had kind of gotten to a point where I was like, this is more than just me being intrigued. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something up, but I couldn't figure out what it was. Um, but always in the back of my mind, you know, having been told since the beginning of middle school, hey, you're gay. You know, it was in the back of my mind as like, what if that actually is true? Mm-hmm. Um, and then once dad kind of had a conversation with me about it, I was like, crap. Um, so there was strong negative emotion. Yeah, well, because again, it was the worst possible thing I could be. Mm-hmm. And to be faced with the reality that I had become the worst thing after a, a a life of trying to be like perfect you know mm-hmm. like the best bass clarinet player the best grades always doing like well not the best grades but always you know trying my best to perform perform yeah um there was this innate thing that i couldn't change about myself that made me flawed and that was probably one of the most crushing realizations. Um, and an unhealthy one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that, I just remember um, I was crying um, when dad was talking to me about it. And I was just like, I don't want to be gay. I wish I wasn't. And he's like, yeah, I know. It's okay. Um, and from that point on, I kind of just was like, okay. Um, I, had, I, had, I had accepted that that was the case. I did not think of myself as gay, though. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a weird way of putting it. Um, Unpack that a little bit. What do you mean? I think what I mean... That wasn't something you wore. It wasn't I knew like... I knew I was gay, but I was still convinced that maybe I didn't have to be. Ah, I see. I, I think that's the better way of putting it. Because I, I did, moving forward, there were a lot of ways that I see now I was trying to maybe prove to myself that I still wasn't. Mm-hmm. Or, um, like, make an effort to change that about myself. Um, and that that continued well into... I'd say, um, well into college, 
um, I was still trying to convince myself um, that I wasn't gay or that I could suppress it enough that it wouldn't be an issue um, because it was uh, in direct conflict with my faith as I saw it then. Um, <laughs> yeah. What are you supposed to do about that? Um, what were some ways that you tried to suppress that? Or can you think of the script that was going through your mind? Well, yeah, I think... Because I remember a lot of that processing came in a relationship that you had in high school. Yeah, I, well, that's, that's one thing. Um, I'll get to that in a second. The, I think the first thing, um, we, we put me in counseling. Um, we put you. We put me. We put <laughs> Mom and me. Dad put you in counseling. Mom and Dad put me in counseling. Yeah. Um, and um, I think the point of that counseling was, I don't really know. Honestly, I, I, I think I went into that counseling thinking, okay, we're going to figure out what's wrong with my brain and fix it and I won't be gay anymore. Mm. Um, was that the disposition of the counselor too? No, I don't think so. That, so that was Mom and Dad's intent, but not the counselor? Yeah, I, all of that's kind of confusing. I, I, I don't know if mom and dad felt like putting me in counseling was going to make me not gay. So there wasn't really a lot of talk about why you were there. No. It was all like under... It was all under the rug. We didn't yeah. talk about it. You just needed to go to counseling. I just needed to go to counseling. Yeah, it, it was never really talked about. Like it came up and we addressed it, and then it was like, now we don't talk about it anymore. Oh. Um, and I'm sure like they would have been open to me talking about it, mom and dad would have. I didn't want to talk about it anymore. That was, mm. that was me, it wasn't them. Um, but yeah, I, I had a really hard time feeling like it was something I could talk about. Um, so yeah, I was in counseling for a while, um, and I remember saying in that counseling that like maybe it is something that can, go away and I can get over and I can be in a relationship with a girl and in a loving, committed, godly relationship um, with a woman and uh, yeah, and that counseling, nothing really <laughs> happened as a result. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the first attempt and then um, as I, as I kind of got older um, in the high school experience, I um, started dating uh, my junior year, right when I turned 16, I had uh, my best friend, uh, Maddie, who to this day, I, <laughs> I love with all my heart. Um, she is one of the most influential people in my life. Um, just from her ability to um, love me so unconditionally and be so patient with me. Um, she, she was awesome. I, yeah. Um, so she and I dated all of high school. Um, as soon as I turned 16, the rest of high school we were dating. Um, and she knew the whole time. It was a conversation that we had had um, before we started dating. I let her know, like, um, at the time I was saying, um, I experienced same-sex attraction. Uh, I have a lot of beef with that <laughs> now that I'll maybe explain later. But um, And she was still willing to kind of embark on um, 
embark in a relationship with me. Um, and it was turbulent, um, to say the least. And uh, in the in the moment, we would probably wouldn't have described it that way. Um, looking back, there were a lot of really, really um, poor choices I had made in the relationship. A lot of really terrible things um, that I kind of pushed on her and forced on her um, in order to kind of prove to myself mm. that I was still straight, still. Mm. Um, and that was really, really hurtful for her. Um, hurtful for me, too. Um, <laughs> I don't really care about that aspect of it as much just because um, I, I feel worse about, you know, what I put her through mm. um, in me being so insecure and me trying to figure out um, who I was. It's hurtful all the way around. Yeah, it really was. But at the same time, she was so consistent and so willing to walk through that with me and so willing to walk through the hardness and, and the, I guess the difficulty would have been a better word, mm -hmm. um, the difficulty of navigating that relationship and what it looked like. Um, and there were plenty of co other complications along with it that just made the relationship really, really hard. But I still walk away from that relationship really thankful mm -hmm. um, for her and for her steadiness mm -hmm. during that time. Um, yeah, and it, it did make a lot of things about my sexuality really clear. Um, you know, I did learn a lot about um, how I felt. I learned a lot about um, the, the ways that my sexuality changed the way that I behave. Um, and the capacity that that had in relationship. Um, I feel like I feel like my sexuality has had um, an impact f way further beyond just like me being attracted to men. Mm. Um, and I think that relationship was where I learned a lot about that aspect of myself. Like how has my personality changed? How has my character? changed um well, so it was like this place where it sounds like a lot of insight was gathered there's a lot of hurt done mm -hmm. a lot of hurt experienced a lot I, of insight though i think that's how a relationship generally is it's, yeah. you know you there's often a lot of hurt and you learn a lot about yourself in that process and a lot about the other person um and grow because of it um so yeah by no means am i um do i regret any part of that relationship. Um, How did you carry those insights into college? Well, I remember when Maddie and I broke up. Um, it was a mutual decision. We had we had kind of set this. Um, precedent in the relationship that if we couldn't figure out how to make, because um, she and I, she's Mormon, I'm not, 
Um, and so if we <clears throat> couldn't figure out how to make that work in the context of the relationship by the time that we left for college, that we were just gonna um, break it off at that point. So that's what we did. Um, and I remember when we were having that conversation, I told her, um, I'm so afraid of what this is gonna mean for me moving forward because I no longer have your support in the same capacity that I did. Mm. Um, and I think I, I viewed Maddie as holding me accountable in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, and so I was, I was really afraid going into college that I was just gonna like swing the completely other way, like just totally, uh, you know, start going, um, going start being in relationships with a lot of men and um, you know, that I, I would no longer have a reason to not be gay. Um, yeah. Which was shallow <laughs> in hindsight. There's a lot uh, of dependency you had on her. Yeah, which is why it was so unhealthy. Yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so I, I remember having that conversation and being really fearful moving into college. Um, and I was, really blessed um, to make some really solid friendships mm. uh, pretty immediately in college. I had a, um, I got assigned a roommate by accident because um, I was going to be living off campus my first year, but they still assigned me a roommate, um, Jonathan, and he reached out to me over social media. He was like, looks like we're going to be roommates. I'm so excited. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm living <laughs> off campus. Um, but we still met up and had lunch. Um, and he was, he was the first friend that I made um, when I came to Whitworth. Um, and he's still one of my best friends to this day. Um, and he has been such an awesome person to um, talk with us about. I was always, um, the first couple years, really intimidated um, by him. Just talking to him was really scary. Um, because I could never tell what he was thinking. Mm. Um, he's not someone who expresses his body language super... Pronounced. Yeah. Pronounced. Um, so yeah, I was always really afraid to talk with him about harder stuff. Um, but I think after my... I think it was after my freshman year, I, I started coming out to my friends. Mm. Um, the first person I came out to was... Uh, Brian, who I had met in uh, the Wind Symphony at Whitworth, um, and uh, we became friends after I forced him to play something that I wrote. Um, and we were on California tour. We, we were touring around the state of California, playing concerts, um, and we he and I had a conversation about it. And um, Brian is someone that I really, really value and love a lot and um, am almost equally repulsed by. (laughs) (laughs) I did not see that coming. Yeah, no. He's, uh, he's, uh, he and I have this relationship where we're basically insulting each other (laughs) 24-7. And I I love that about our relationship uh, because outside of that kind of front of um, us just berating each other. Um, 
there is a deep-seated respect and love for one another. Mm. Like, the reason that we're able to do that is because we trust each other. Mm. Uh, We trust each other with uh, our emotions, and we trust each other with our feelings and know where the boundaries are Mm. um, and are really respectful of those boundaries and are able to talk about them um, really easily. And so Brian was the first person that I was kind of able to open up to um, and talk about stuff with just because he was easy for me to talk to. And then um, Jonathan and Max and um, uh, Ryan and... Um, Blanking on names. Yeah. Kelsey. Kelsey, yeah, Kelsey came a bit later. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> the interesting thing about Kelsey is she knew the whole time. Oh. Um, <laughs> I haven't told her, but she knew. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> when I did tell her, she was basically like, well, duh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I knew the whole time. Well, it sounds like you had this community of people that you felt like emotionally safe with. Yes. And that responded really supportively and kindly. I'm wondering also, though, how does this interface? You know, we started this conversation with faith kind of being an intricate part of how we organized this. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like, were, were these Christian friends? Were these, yes. Yeah. Um, how, how all did that of, dynamic play into these friendships and influence this whole thing? Yeah, it's interesting how that works out. These friends were actually, um, in talking with them, they're all solid, solid men and women of faith. Um, and they are all equally as much um, willing to explore mm. with me. Um, I personally was unwilling to acknowledge the idea that maybe there is biblical ground for uh, that allows for same-sex relationships. That had not, I mean, it had crossed my mind, but it was not something I was willing to consider until I met these people. Hmm. Um, and so it's, it's interesting. These are people of, like, deep-rooted faith, but at the same time, they are encouraging me to think outside of my normal um, range of um, understanding in terms of my faith. Um, I'd say like half of my friends um, hold an affirming view. Mm -hmm. Um, Another half are still traditional in their view. And um, I, I think that that dichotomy has really allowed for me to explore my sexuality in a way that um, I wouldn't have allowed myself. Um, so yeah, I, I think the first time that I started considering like maybe uh, maybe there's another story to the way that sexuality um, and faith uh, are in relationship with each other. Mm. I think that they just were so willing to um, consider that being gay was okay <laughs> with me, you know? Um, and not just in, like, within the, the lens of a traditional viewpoint, but, like, what does what does the affirming viewpoint look like? Do you need to leave the faith to be gay? Um, they were so um, instrumental in providing different perspectives. Um, so you really got to think through that whole conversation in the context of friends. Yeah. And I, and I think that's when I started um, really being able to accept that part of myself. Hmm. 
um, to be comfortable with saying I'm gay, mm-hmm. um, and to be um, to be able to not hate myself for it. Mm-hmm. Was that after changing your mind on something, or was that? Um, no. I wouldn't say I've ever really changed my mind. <laughs> I, I, my mind has just been kind of like a constant, like, gradual shift. Yeah. Um, but it was in the context of friends both affirming both traditional, and you found unconditional love from both of them. Mm-hmm. And so that was when you were like, okay, maybe this dynamic of my personality, of who I am, isn't this thing that needs to be, like, squelched and put off to the side. Is changed. something worth embracing? Um, that was when I began to, um, you know, just in my own personal prayer, my, my prayer had shifted from, take this away from me, to, what does this mean about me? Hmm. Um, and gradually into, like, okay, listen. <laughs> God, listen. Um... <laughs> I'm going to be okay with a lot more, which I think is what you wanted in the first place. (laughs) Um, But that included, like, I'm going to be open to the possibility of maybe I could be in a same-sex relationship. Um, I'm going to be open to the possibility that that is not a possibility. But I, I started to realize I have to be, if I'm going to learn about myself and learn about this aspect of myself to the fullest extent, I can't continue to place restrictions on it. Um, I'm not going to learn what it means to be a gay Christian if I'm not willing to accept the possibility that maybe it means I'm going to be gay, full-on gay, Um, because there's a lot to learn in that regard. Um, sounds like it was the first time you kind of took it and like held it was like I'm really going to evaluate this like I'm really going to look at it you know without yeah picking beforehand where I'm going to lay it was the first time that I intentionally made the decision to ignore how I had been raised wow when addressing this issue like I I needed to set all of that aside and reconstruct my view reconstruct my 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 standpoint on what what this meant for me, what it meant for my faith. What did that look like? Um, it didn't really look any different. It felt a lot different. Um, I made myself more open. Mm. Um, in very plain and simple like terms like if a guy flirted with me I'd flirt back um I I kind of was in this period for a while where I was praying um (laughs) I'd be praying to God listen if you put a man in my life that is a loving Christian man loves God with all his heart um and you know seeks um seeks you in everything he does and also he's gay and wants to be in a relationship with me that is a sign i will take it um 
and that that is the sign that being gay is okay. <laughs> and you know, if what you want to, if you want to just drop that, drop that right in front of me, I'd appreciate it. That'd be great. Um, which is flawed. <laughs> it's flawed in its logic. Uh, there's some experimenting that was going on. Yeah, like you being it, genuinely open to seeing. It was, and that's why I say it didn't look different as much as it felt different. Like I. There's an openness. Yeah, I I became more open to the possibility of this thing that for so long I had been so repulsed by and so um, I had such an aversion to. Um, yeah, so it really started becoming like, well, it's where I started to recognize the homophobia that I'd been raised with mm. and started to kind of have that dissipate and really work on um, getting getting rid of that mm. uh, and kind of that self-loathing that came with that. Mm. Um, so when you felt like you processed, I don't know, still processing, but when maybe you looked at it directly, that homophobia, that self-hatred, mm -hmm. that shame. And recognized it as that's not healthy. Mm. Yeah, I think that's when I realized it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily like, this is a, a belief that I should uphold and that I should um, hold myself accountable to. It's like, oh crap, no, that's a lot of really uh, intense self-hatred <laughs> mm. that I need to let go of. Mm. Um, I don't have to hate myself to still be Christian mm. if I'm gay. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's that's really college is when everything really started to change, mm -hmm. in terms of how I view myself and how I approach the whole topic and how I see um, the relationship of faith and um, and what are we saying? Faith and I said sexual sexual orientation. orientation. Yeah. yeah, call it whatever. Um, yeah. And is that where you land today? Is that kind of what you're looking for? Um. I'm pretty adamant about expressing that I'm still in the middle. Mm. What do you mean? Because um, it sounds like you were saying, you know, I really left a lot of that ingrained homophobia, that shame really started to fall off. Mm -hmm. And there's this openness and acceptance, but I mean, I haven't met your boyfriend yet. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you haven't dated. No, I, I haven't. You've remained um, single. Yeah, right now, um, I, I hesitate to say that I've been called the celibacy because I know that celibacy is, like in scripture, it is revered as a calling. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, part of me would say, like, everyone is in a period of celibacy until they are married. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and so... Well, this lingo even around, like, a call to celibacy. Yeah. I'm, I would assume for people watching, that was not the turn that they thought yeah. this conversation would take. Well, because you just talked about all this shame being dropped off, and then it's like, hey, and I'm called to celibacy. Right. Um, so bring me, there, there's, a, there's a gap there, fill in the gap. Where and that's, that's why I say I hesitate. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I, where, where did that, where did, yeah, where, what, what up? I feel like um, right now my and sorry, you're good. 
right now my intent um, is purely and solely um, to follow God's intention um, in my life, what he has planned for me. And I feel like um, in every aspect outside of my sexuality, I felt like that's pretty clear. Mm. (laughs) Um, Like I've known I wanted to be a band teacher for a long time. And now that I'm there, I'm like, yep, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. And um, I, I think that God has always been very, um, generous in just making that abundantly clear. But in this aspect in particular, he's really, uh, um, fickle. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I, in, in, in that desire to, um, be really intentional about listening what, to what his plan is for me. Um, I'm being very cautious. Um, my basic viewpoint is I'm still pretty traditional um, in my views on marriage and in my views on um, sexuality. I think that um, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of compelling evidence um, to support that either singleness or a mixed orientation marriage um, is the right path, I guess. Um, mm. But I, I say, say that... that with some hesitancy. I do say that with some hesitancy because it's merely because I haven't found anything more compelling. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I say that with... I mean, I'm sensing even in this explanation that this is like the way I explain it with people is sometimes there's beliefs that we deeply believe and that are true. They're not like shaky, Mm -hmm. but it's just, they're so hard putting into words because they're almost just kept in this part of our hearts that um, is so deeply personal that it's not just like simple towards. Right. It's hard to put into words. But what I'm sensing, if I can summarize, maybe that'll help. There was this time in college where you really let like the shame fall off, the homophobia fall off, and you're really like open to experimenting and even like if the right guy came along that you might really genuinely consider being in that relationship yet you just said that there's still this traditional or conservative interpretation that you're holding to um, when it comes to scripture or um, even a choice to be celibate so it's maybe give me the bridge between those two positions because this seemed to be like a drastic turn and it has to be kind of shocking hearing yeah. in the video that that's where you're landing. That's where right I ended now. up. Because it almost, everything felt like it was leading to one thing and then it took a turn. Yeah, I I think it's important to recognize that I'm still very much uh, flexible on that interpretation. Um, like, I, I believe what I believe, but um, it's only because... It's not a set in stone thing. Right, it's not like I'm vehemently advocating for this is the way that it's done Um, because I don't feel like I've come to a place where I fully and firmly believe that yet Um, and I'm still wanting to be open to um, you know that that could change Um, I think right now that the traditional outlook on marriage is so compelling just because it's so Uh, ingrained in scripture you see reinforced again and again and again the importance of um, the the difference between a man and a woman 
um, and those two coming together and becoming one and the, the significance of that and the, um, the significance of that. Mm -hmm. um, and when I, you know, when I've been thinking about this and researching this and listening to as many perspectives as I possibly can, um, like Matthew Vines, mm -hmm. um, who has done incredible research and insight into the biblical perspective on uh, what same-sex marriage could look like um, in, a, in a Christian worldview. And um, Greg Coles, um, I read his book, Single Gay Christian, and like, oh, it was so good. <laughs> Just because it felt like I was, re I almost felt like I was reading my own story. Mm. Um, and it was it was just so compelling and you know being careful to look at from all sorts of different perspectives um, what are people saying about this issue and the reason why I land traditionally I think is just because the rest of what I've seen um, feels really forced mm. um, what do you mean like in a scriptural like, way yeah like I feel like the common the common conversations surrounding like affirming viewpoints um, really dig super deep into the minutia of scripture um, in a way where it, it feels like I'm I'm forcing myself to see a possibility, mm. and that doesn't feel um, that doesn't feel like an authentic um, interpretation of how we are supposed to look at scripture, and I don't feel like it holds up with the overarching story of scripture. Um, there are, there are six verses mm -hmm. that address homosexuality specifically. Um, and I feel like at this point they've become so useless mm -hmm. in the conversation. Um, you can break those down to their bones mm -hmm. um, and still argue that they mean whatever you want it to mean. Mm -hmm. um, I... <laughs> So, and you haven't necessarily found those scriptural cases for the affirming case to be compelling personally. Right. I, I don't feel like if we look at the rest of scripture, if we look at the context of scripture as a whole, I don't feel like that's the message scripture is telling. Um, and that's a very almost Preston Sprinkly way of um, explaining it. I Preston Sprinkle so. an author that... Yeah, yeah. He used sprinkly as an um, adjective, but I don't think he'd appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, uh, yeah, I... And I I've listened to a lot of, um, he has a podcast called Theology in the Raw, mm. um, that I've listened to a lot of what he's, he's compelling. Mm. Um, well then let me ask, okay, so you're compelled that the scriptural, the, the traditional interpretation on this topic is important, but why is, why is the scriptural um, consensus on this really important to you? Maybe why do you, why do you, in the hierarchy of values, why do you place that above maybe, maybe just your own personal experience? Well, because... If scripture's true, all God wants for us is our flourishing. So I have to trust. If my, if my faith is the foundation of my belief, I have to trust that if God placed a restriction on marriage in that capacity and still chose to give me this this aspect of my being this uh, my gayness um, there's a reason for it even though he has specifically said you can't have this but I'm gonna give it to you but you can't have it hmm um, so what you're saying is 
it's not just that there's a reason for the prohibition, but there's actually also on, on the other side of that, there's a reason for him giving this to you. Right, absolutely. There's um, this being your attraction to men or just that yeah. aspect of your personality? Um, well, it's, it's pretty all-encompassing. I think that... Um, If, if if all of scripture holds true, the fact that I am denied the opportunity to be in a same-sex relationship has to lead to my flourishing. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. <laughs> because your personal experience doesn't Because doesn't everything like in me says, you want this real bad. And I do, I do want it. Um, with every part of my being, but I have to trust. Mm. I have to trust that it's what's best for me. Um, There are endless examples, Mm. Um, even in my own life of like, like you can boil it down to it as being as simple as mom saying, don't touch that stove, because mom said so. Mm. And me not knowing why I can't touch the stove other than mom told me not to and later touching the stove and finding out, ow, that hurt, you know? Um, it's, and it's hard to watch when a lot of people in life are touching the stove and they're really happy. So there's Probably. almost, there's, yeah. a, there's a conflict between what you're experiencing and what you're looking at and what you're observing in the world mm-hmm. and what you trust God to be saying. And it comes down to trust, is yeah. honestly. That's all it can be. Because if it came down to, um, you know, if it it came if it came specifically down to what I see, what I observe, what I hear, um, and even like looking at scripture, those six verses. If I looked only at those six verses, um, I'd be in a same-sex relationship right now, assuming that I could get one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. Um, what it comes down to is me trusting that God knows what's best. Um, and I guess it's just I haven't found a reason to believe that God thinks it's best for me to be in a same-sex relationship. Yeah. Mm. And until I find that, I have to... Be where you're at. Yeah. So then the question... Because here's maybe the complication is that from both sides, maybe both sides being the traditional um, conservative Christian camp Mm -hmm. and then the LGBTQ community, you're going to have frustration with that position because you're stating in a sense, um, maybe I'll I'll, I'll speak to why it might rub the conservative Christian crowd wrong, because you're having an openness to like, I, I have my mind changed potentially, like... I'm, I'm relying on scripture, but I also don't necessarily see how that correlates to lived experience. And, mm-hmm. and then you haven't really stated necessarily that you're open to being in a relationship with a woman or that you think that your sexuality might change. And so you're, you're saying, in a sense, no, this is who I am, and this is actually a, a, a God-given part of who I am. I think that probably is, is, am, am I is articulating it right? Yeah. I, okay. I, I, I don't think, want to misrepresent it. No, you're, you're right about that. Yeah. Um, and so that's, the Christian is going to go wild with that, maybe. Um, but then the LGBTQ community are going to say, you still have ingrained homophobia and shame, and that this oppressive system of Christian teaching is still has its grips on you. It's not allowing me to be who I am. Yeah, and you're maybe purposefully denying 
maybe what you know to be true in your heart mm-hmm. um, for the sake of dogma. That'll be the claim on both sides. Yeah. How do, how do you hold that tension in between? Uh, well, it... it <laughs> maybe, really, that was too vague of a question. Well, so. no, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's hard. Um, but I heard you say something earlier, actually. Maybe, let's start with this. That there's a larger group of people. You suspect that there's a large group of people in this vicinity, in this middle ground. Here's the thing. Yeah, I, I grew up my entire life thinking I was the only gay Christian. And that's a crime. <laughs> that is honestly a crime. There are an absurd number of gay Christians. Um, the more that I have really been asking about it, there's a whole community that I would have loved to know about yeah. as I was growing up, but I had no clue because I felt like I couldn't talk about it. And so what's, what's so hard about being um, in the position of being a gay Christian, one, the, the term itself ruffles feathers um, in, in the church community. If mm-hmm. you say gay Christian, people are like, that's a contradiction. Mm-hmm. You can't be both. Well, maybe in both communities that, that might ruffle feathers, but go ahead. Uh, maybe not. Maybe I, not. I, I, feel like, I feel like the LGBTQ plus community would probably be uh, a little more willing to Say like, okay, yeah, that's you, you know. Um, but I've, you know, I've heard on several occasions people tell, not telling me, but telling other people, you can't be gay and Christian. That's, that's a contradiction in itself. Um, and so it's hard because you you don't find acceptance in the church if you're gay. Like, and that's gotten better in recent years because this conversation has started to open up Um, but it's still it feels to me like a place where I was never able to talk about the things that I was struggling with and wrestling with and trying to understand and didn't have anybody to talk to about it Um, I I feel like you know another reason why we're having this conversation is for 10 years now, I've been talking about this in my head. Hmm. And... And you suspect there's others out there that are just talking about it in their head. That don't have a choice yeah. but to try and figure it out on their own. Um, and I think one of the most valuable experiences for me has been in more recent years being able to talk with you about it um, and finally able to wrestle with and you know, bounce ideas off of someone and um, be able to express things that might be a little risque um, just for the sake of being able to say it out loud and process it in a different way. That's not an opportunity I've been afforded until the last few years. Um, So that makes it really hard to be a part of the church community when there's this, this part of yourself that is so influential Hmm. and I wouldn't say that it is the entirety of who I am but it is such a huge part of the way that I see the world Hmm. can you open that up yeah uh, what do you mean I I I attribute my sexuality to more than just the fact that I'm attracted to men Um, a large part of my 
I feel like a large part of who I am is because of that attraction and the things that it has, it has put me through um, and the ways that it has just kind of oriented my mind to work. Hmm. Uh, I feel like just from a, kind of looking back on my experience through school and always um, finding it easier to connect with girls, um, I think that that really significantly played a role in the teacher that I've become. Hmm. Um, if I weren't gay, I don't think I'd be a good teacher. <laughs> Honestly. Um, the, yeah, we'll pause for a second. It'll, it'll, it'll go away. That was awesome. Yeah. I feel like we're getting in the meat of it now. Yeah. What's your impression of Sam so far? I felt very challenged when you said that the I'm this is not verbatim but I felt very challenged when you said that there uh, there's no there was no opportunity for an open conversation and processing mm -hmm. inside the church that stung mostly because anything that I deal with I feel comfortable openly discussing and processing inside the church, at least with certain pastors that I have in my life. So for you to feel like something so big... <laughs> that's and, wild to me, because I, I didn't even realize that that's like... Like, I thought all hard things were hard to talk about in the church. No, <laughs> oh, but there's a, there's a privilege so, there that you... Yeah. 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 Mm. Wow. wow. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that that was a privilege. But it's different for you. You felt like there was this whole dynamic to your personality that you couldn't talk about. Right. A huge part. Um, and I feel like, you know, that, that made the church experience very inauthentic hmm. for me. Because if you, why are you going to church if you can't be you at church? Isn't the whole point of church is to find spiritual community, but I'm not finding spiritual community for me. I'm finding spiritual community for straight me. Mm, wow. So. Well, tell me more about um, how you think about your sexuality as being more encompassing than just your... Yeah. Um, Maybe start from the beginning. Resummarize that for me. Resummarize what? You're saying that, okay, so I see my sexuality as something more than... Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I do. I see that I, I feel like my sexuality has impacted more than just, like, my attraction to men. It, it's impacted, um, really, my worldview and my perspective on how I, how I interact with um, the people around me. Um, I think of, like, when I, when I look back on the number of friendships I made um, with girls throughout middle and high school... Um, how that prepared me to be a really um, emotionally aware and compassionate teacher. Mm -hmm. um, and I am positive that if I weren't gay, I'd be a terrible teacher. Mm -hmm. Knowing my um, <laughs> perfectionist tendencies and my uh, kind of no-nonsense, like, fix it. You're very direct. Um, I am very direct. And so just I, I think that, in a way, my experience growing up gay has really softened me in a way that I needed to be softened. Um, and, you know, adding to that the amount of um, just 
trauma um, and turmoil that that brought me through in life um, really uh, changed the way that I interact with my kids. Um, yeah, and really with anyone. I feel like I just am so much more aware of people's hardship. Um, before they even really tell me about it, just maybe a better word is um, I approach relationship with more regard to the possibility of their hurt. Wow. Um, How do you think it's impacted your relationship with men and your male friendships? There's a layer of complication that's there, <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, um, yeah, I think it makes it difficult because I seek that same emotional intimacy in men. And that's a lot harder to get hmm. with men in particular. Um, I think it's been, it's been impactful in that, like, I preach the, important, of, the importance of emotional um, intimacy in men with my students. I make sure they know mm. that expressing emotion is um, a very, very important part of who they are mm -hmm. um, because I want to make sure that they don't end up <laughs> walking forward in life and being this emotionally vapid um, wall mm -hmm. um, that I find I am often finding and meeting um, when I am trying to be in a relationship with men. I think it's really, really hard for me to feel like I'm close with guys unless I feel that emotional intimacy, um, which is something very rarely, very rarely I encounter in men. So it really has given you a high value in not just seeking out friendships like that, but cultivating that in your students. Absolutely. Um, and has really made me appreciate the male relationships that I do have mm, yeah. a lot more. Um, the fact that I can talk with um, Brian and Max and Jonathan um, about almost anything and feeling like they are going to accept that with really high regard um, for the way that I feel and really high regard um, for the intimacy that I'm demonstrating to them. I think what's really powerful is that I, I can almost always recognize them seeing the risk that I'm taking each time I do that hmm. and recognizing that. Um, so I'm, I'm really blessed to have friends that understand that um, from a male perspective. Mm -hmm. um, but it also makes male relationships really challenging. Um, that emotional intimacy gets confusing for me, obviously, because with women, there's not the sexual attraction. Um, so that like makes it not difficult to be in a relationship with them, but with men, the emotional intimacy can sometimes lead to like, oh, and now I'm attracted to you, and now it's really hard to be in a relationship with you. Um, that, that creates complications a lot of the time. Um, but at that point, um, the accountability of the relationships that I have, um, and the fact that I've been able to be open and honest with them about anything, like they can hold me accountable to that and say like, here's what we know you believe. 
here's what we know you are invested in in terms of your, um, your path on this journey. We just want to remind you of that um, and um, you know, encounter those feelings with you and wrestle through those feelings with you. But at the same time, um, you know, like, check yourself. <laughs> well, I was, I was reflecting as you were talking about really what you're describing was, was a temperament that Jesus held himself, hmm. which is this awareness of people's pain and this openness to emotionally and like with, with richly connecting with people that everyone else was ignoring and people that everyone else didn't see. Hmm. And that's, that's something I cherish so much in my relationship with Jesus is his unrelenting care and attention to my pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that he took that pain upon himself for me and met me there in that pain. And I'm just like, Ben, I've been so thankful in my friendship with you, my brothership with you, is to experience that intuitive gift that you have mm-hmm. in seeing me where I have this front of being really charismatic and extroverted and um, you can see right into my heart sometimes. And uh, there's a trust that I have with you that I don't have with most people. Mm. And um, I wonder if you see um, this empty, I hate painting these broad strokes on the church because I think it's unfair to specific contexts, but mm-hmm. I'll just talk about my personal experience Have you, in, in the churches we grew up in. Did you feel like in the churches we grew up in embodied that attentive care, specifically even from mature men? Or do you feel like that was like a vacant hole? would be so foreign to me. Yeah. Um I feel like with our church experience specifically, we went to a lot of huge churches. We did, yeah. And so I, I feel like that that level of intimacy and emotional awareness in the congregation in general was out the window just because of the size. Like, what are you going to do? Um, we did go to a couple smaller, more intimate churches. Um, I, I, don't, I don't really think I could say either way. On, on, in those cases, I. What do you think it would look like to prioritize a value like that within a church setting? What do you think the church could look like? I think the first thing that needs to happen, specifically for this community of people that we're referring to, gay Christians, um, There needs to be an awareness that they're present hmm. instead of assuming they're straight until they say so. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be open dialogue about it. Um, the only sermon I have ever heard on the LGBTQ plus community is that it's wrong. I'm more in that with you. It's, I, there's no care or right and that, practical. Well, and you know they'll feign care. They'll say like these are people that we should love. 
never have I heard a practical application of how we love our LGBT. Did I say that right? LGBTQ plus mm -hmm. um, community in a way that is actually going to love them. Yeah, with like specific practical. I am, I am tired of the way that we love our LGBTQ plus community being that we tell them that they're wrong. We know. <laughs> we, we have had that ingrained in us since the beginning. We know that you think that we're wrong. Um, but what about the value that we add to the congregation? What about the, the experience that we bring to the table that nobody else has except for our community? The LGBTQ plus community is a compelling community that people run to for comfort because they know how to comfort because they have not been comforted. They had to figure it out themselves and they do it well. <laughs> they do it well. And the church, Big C Church, um, this is a broad generalization for sure. Of course there are churches that are really doing great work in this regard, but um, the reality is the majority of churches don't know how to comfort. Unless, well, unless it's something that they've been through. Um, I, there are a lot of churches that are really adept in comforting people in the midst of death. That's something everybody goes through. How are you going to comfort your LGBTQ plus community if you haven't been through it? Where, where are your gay Christians that are allowed to be in community with other gay Christians and help them find community in the church. Mm. What roles do our gay Christians have in the churches? And if we find out that a Christian is gay in a role in the church, why do we take them out of that position? And I think it's one thing, like if, you're, if your church's values um, are really clear about like marriages between a man and a woman, I get that. I'm not saying that the church needs to change that value. Um, so like, but I feel like there's a difference between like if someone is in a leadership role in your congregation and is in a same-sex relationship with someone, that is a conflict of the church's values. I would understand in that case. But there are too many situations where I've seen people taken out of a position, a worship leader position, a preaching position, because they have come out and said I'm gay and not been in a relationship necessarily but just said this is part of my experience and they get removed because being gay in itself is in conflict with the values of the church and that can't be anymore mm -hmm. we can't we can't allow that and it's to the church's detriment absolutely it's to the church's detriment I think I just think that so many of the people in my own life um, that have really made me feel valued and accepted and really made me feel um, like I'm in a community are people who aren't in the church because they're gay and they had to leave. So I, I feel like we're missing out on a huge opportunity for a completely new perspective that could radically change the way anybody sees the church, 
been um, for years just reflecting on what like a, like a practical infrastructure for that would look like because maybe one of the reasons I was drawn to psychology and being a counselor I, I was on a track to be a pastor for a long time I mean you know so it was like that was my dream since I was like 13 was to be a pastor but I found like a very um, practical the word that comes to mind is is like mechanistic and, and proximal way of caring for people in counseling psychology that I didn't necessarily find in pastoral counseling or like in um, theology. Mm-hmm. Like there was, there was this very like, there was this attention to detail. And so while there was like kind of like large, broad theological ideas and truths in scripture that could be applied to, you know, specific situations, like the application part of the sermon was always like five, the last five minutes maybe. But the bulk was spent on the theological like frame by which you view the whole situation through. But in psychology, there's this very practical, like step by step, intervention by intervention. Like, mm-hmm. here's what comes next. Here's what comes next. Here's what you do next. Like, there's this very, yeah, it's laid out really specifically, and I found that to be so helpful in maybe honoring to the complexity of the situation. And what do you think it would look like? And, and of course, we don't have the answers to all this, but mm-hmm. we're just reflecting. What do you think it would look like to have a very specific? Infrastructure for caring for and incorporating and integrating gay Christians into the church. Um, yeah, this is so hard. Um, I think honestly, that infrastructure is something that should be designed and thought of by uh, the gay Christians in the community, and it's going to look different from community community to community Um, a couple of things that I would wonder about a congregation in terms of like you know the things that when I'm looking for a new church I'm these are kind of like the places that I'm looking to see is this going to be a place where I'm going to feel safe Um, one how vulnerable is the pastor Mm -hmm. that is the first thing I look for if the pastor is um, sticking to scripture and uh, football jokes. Usually it's a no-go for me. And partially it's because... <laughs> is that how common that is? There's it's so, so common. sports jokes. So many, because it, it, it's masculine. So, like, if you're... Honestly, if you're demonstrating your masculinity to the crowd as, like, a reaffirmation of how masculine you are, like, whew, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be there for that. Yeah, so... That's that's one thing. I'm looking at how vulnerable the pastor is, how and how willing they are to express their emotion. Yeah. Um, some of the most welcome churches I've been welcoming churches I've been to. Um, I went to one sermon and the pastor cried in that sermon, and the, the people reflect that. Um, I feel like a pastor is often, um, or rather, I should say this the other way around. the The congregation is a reflection. Reflection. The congregation is a reflection of the values of their pastor. Mm-hmm. There's a reason they attend there. So if you look at a pastor, you can see a lot. Um, so that vulnerability is huge. The next thing that I look at is, okay, what, what community groups are we offering? Um, small groups are usually there. Men's group and women's group, usually there. And then my next question is, is your men's group going to be okay with something, someone that's openly gay? attending their men's group. 
that's a scary one. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the only way to find that out is to go there and be openly gay, or to see if there's anyone else mm -hmm. that's there. Um, there's not, mm -hmm. usually. Uh, and so... Do you want like a gay group, or what do you want? Gay group would be weird. It'd be so weird. It'd I mean, be weird to see that on the pamphlet. Right. Like, it'd be, weird. It'd be cool, <laughs> but like... I don't know, then you gotta... Yeah, I Because you I, don't want to be segregated off. You want to be integrated with the It needs the to be But integrated. intentionally integrated, so it's not... I think there's a place for both, honestly. I think there's a place for integrating into the entirety of the congregation, and there's a place for being able to step aside with like-minded people. That's why men's groups exist, because mm -hmm. we're segregating men and segregating mm. women. No, that's a good thought. Um, you know, so I, I think there's absolutely a place for both. Um, I don't know if that's, that might be the solution in some communities. I don't know if that would be the case for all of them. But yeah, I think rather than having like a step-by-step -step practical application off the top of my head that I know of, I think my, my initial thought would just to be reflecting on the current state of your congregation. Yeah, yeah. What are your values? What are you expressing? Are you saying things that are going to tell me I'm not welcome? Whether you mean to or not, you really, really have to look at the way that you preach, the way that you welcome other people, the language that you use. Are you welcoming everyone or are there some assumptions? If I come in there and you ask me um, if I have a girlfriend or if I have a wife, I feel less welcome. Mm. And that wasn't your intention. You're trying to get to know me. Um, but the fact of the matter is you just told me that this at least this part of the congregation that I'm speaking to right now, um, has an assumption about the way that I'm going to be living my life. Um, a huge one. Also, what is your church's stance on marriage? And I don't mean like, is same-sex marriage okay? But like, one of the most frustrating things for me um, is going into a church that treats singleness as a short phase of life before marriage. Um, if you, I just, it, it. You want maybe a category for singleness to be appreciated and talked about within the church that doesn't As it is in scripture, marriage. singleness is revered mm -hmm. in scripture as this incredible capacity to serve the Lord. If you can serve the Lord and say, like marriage was just like, okay, if you have to, yeah, 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 <laughs> then yeah. do. If you can, stay single yeah. and serve God in every possible capacity instead of being weighed down by having a wife and kids and not being able to serve in certain capacities. But the church, every church I've been to has been like, okay, now when you get married, mm -hmm. or like I've even been to, I recently um, was in a young adults group that I went to and they were like, okay, it's the Valentine's young adult group service, so we're all gonna get together and do like speed dating. And like, like it was, we're just gonna, you know, we can't wait for you guys to pair up and meet your future spouse and get married and go do God's work. And it's, it's wow. inexplicably crushing when your options <laughs> are to stay single or what feels like be forced into a marriage that you don't would be forced mm -hmm. or to leave the church. 
so if there's a pastor watching and he wants to like he wants to do something today to actually like make some practical changes or maybe he wants to change the way that he's offering pastoral care to his congregation just generally what what would be like some practical like action steps to take I, I think that it becomes a part of the culture. If you personally are invested in wanting to know, like if your heart is really for um, making the gay Christians in your congregation feel included and welcome and safe, um, that that's something that you are really trying to understand is what they are going through. Um, the passages of scripture that they are reading over and over and over and the people that they are listening to and the perspectives that they're getting, you need to be getting those same perspectives. Because um, that's the only way you're authentically going to be able to say, like, we're going to shift the culture in this church to be more welcoming. And again, that doesn't mean you have to concede on your values of marriage. Mm -hmm. If you believe marriage is between a man and a woman, so does scripture, mm -hmm. <laughs> as far as I'm aware. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the way I phrase it is like, you know, the values don't have to change, but the way you express your values always has to change. Absolutely. Because the context is always changing. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying that it has to start at the value. It has to start at, does this actually matter to you? And then if it is, you'll act out that value in, in accordance with the context. Mm -hmm. Right. And so maybe the, the action step would be, um, have some self-reflection. Yeah, have, maybe have so. A, have a genuine time of investigating your own heart and asking yourself, is this a value that I hold? So you call yourself a gay Christian. Why, do, why have you chosen that title and not... I don't know, there's a lot of different ways to describe it. Mm -hmm. Why did you land on that one? Um, a lot of it is convenience. <laughs> uh, gay Christian is just a lot easier to say. Um, I, I do have an issue with um, same-sex attracted um, in that it just, it feels to me, um, there are other people who um, I would say are gay Christians that would call themselves like same-sex attracted um, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, for me, the issue is it feels like I'm trying to run away from something mm. um, when I say that um, because I don't want to by any means tell the LGBTQ plus culture that I'm, that I'm still kind of resistant to them. Hmm. And that's what same-sex attracted kind of feels like to me. It's like I'm refusing to use the terminology that they identify with. Um, and that just in itself feels really um, standoffish to me. So I, I use gay. Um, and that is to mean my sexuality itself and um, you know I, I talked a little bit about um, how I view how that integrates into my life but um, when I when I use the term gay it, it does refer to just my sexuality itself it doesn't refer to like uh, me being in a same-sex relationship I think often um, that's kind of the association that it gets is mm -hmm. that if I'm gay then I'm in relationship with another man um, but that is not the case. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't use homosexual just because um, we, when you break down the meaning of the word itself, it actually is 
redundant and nonsensical. Um, mm. It means like same sameness. Mm. So, okay. Not, <laughs> it doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, it's not an accurate so, term. Yeah, so gay is what I use. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on describing um, what you're experiencing as a struggle? I'm struggling with same sex attraction, struggling with. I mean, life is just a struggle. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, okay, fair, fair, fair. So, if you're going to say struggling with, I mean, you might as well just say struggling with life in general. Um, but from the pulpit, someone saying, hey, we really want to be there for people who struggle, struggle with... Struggle with same... Like, yeah, I get why they're saying it. Um, it, it presents gayness as... Um, it presents gayness as an adversary when... In my life personally, it has proven to be, while it has presented some difficulties, it has proven to be such a remarkable gift in a lot of ways. And I still feel weird saying it that way. It is, it is such a gift and I, it is in almost direct, like when I say that it's almost in direct contradiction to all of the pain that I have felt up until now. Um, saying that it's a gift, but I, I feel like um, it just has such a capacity to um, it has changed me into the best version of myself that I could be. Um, and to say that I struggled with it um, might be accurate, but also discounts um, the gift the gift that it is. Some folks have really taken to wanting to be in mixed orientation marriages, and even though they experience same-sex attraction, they mm-hmm. um, don't identify as gay. They, I, they would rather maybe say, I struggle with same-sex attraction, mm-hmm. but um, adopt instead a model of being in a mixed orientation marriage. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I'm open to the possibility. I, I won't say that um, I am either in a same-sex relationship or celibate. Um, you know, I, I'm aware that it's a possibility that I could also be in a mixed orientation um, marriage. And uh, at least for right now, I say I'm more oriented towards celibacy just because I'm aware of the, the capacity. Um, how do I say this? I want to be protective of anyone's heart that I enter a relationship with. And as it stands right now in terms of what I believe and in terms of um, my, uh, like how solid my belief is, I don't feel like at this point it would be wise to be in a mixed orientation relationship just because I'm still figuring a lot of it out. Um, there are plenty of people who are in mixed orientation relationships and are really, really happy there. Um, and that's fantastic. Um, I think that that is also a calling. I think yeah. it is a very clear calling when God says, yeah, you're gay, but you're gonna, you're gonna be in a, a marriage with a woman. Um, I, I think that very much feels like a calling <laughs> because, like- because it's not this innate, like, um, you know, that initial attraction and interest isn't there. Do you feel like it's a disservice to the other partner? I would have said that a few years ago. Yeah? But you don't um, know? 
No. I don't. I... Because that, again, would be looking... Looking at my sexuality as something that takes away. Mm. Rather than something that gives. Mm. Um, sure, like, sexual intimacy is a little more complicated. Um, Maybe more than a little. It's more complicated. <laughs> yeah. Um, but emotional intimacy mm-hmm. is, it's happening. <laughs> like, you have that in space. Like, you yeah. have that, um, it's a strength, at least for me. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, you could just equally as much say, oh man, look at all the other side to all of this stuff. Um, that my partner is getting, that my wife is getting, um, that she wouldn't get with a straight man. Mm. She doesn't get to go, I mean, and this is super stereotyped, but like, when we go shopping, (laughs) right? Like, I will be there for it. I am there. Um, Which maybe is necessarily not the case. Well, no, I think what you're pointing at is like, okay, yeah, so there would be a there would be loss, but there would also be gain. And mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people admit in that. And something that's so, so important to understand um, is that intimacy is not... Um, intimacy intimacy is not... Oh, I had Say a it. perfect way of saying this. It's all right. Now go for um, it. Intimacy is not mutually exclusive to sex. And I think that that is such a huge misconception of today's culture. Mm. Um, we we use the term synonymously. Intimacy is um, just a synonym for sex. Um, intimacy is so far beyond sex, um, at least in my opinion. Like there's there's so many there are so many more layers. There are so many more. Advantages. There are so many more. Um, there's so much more meaning to a relationship that has really valuable, true, honest intimacy. And there's no part of intimacy that is um, excluded when you take sex out of it. Mm. And so I, I feel like there's kind of a there's there's this common kind of retort to whenever I whenever I talk about like yeah maybe I'm going to be single or um, might be in a mixed orientation relationship often people will ask well isn't that going to be lonely because you can't have sex with them and so you're not really getting to experience the fullness of that relationship but I I would challenge that and say uh, sex is nice Um, real nice but it's it's not. It's not something that is necessary to intimacy, and intimacy is what we crave. Mm. When people have sex all the time, it's intimacy that they're looking for. Mm. Um, and non coincidentally, sex doesn't provide that. Mm. It's it's intimacy. It's closeness. It's um, relationship and emotional vulnerability that really creates a sense of intimacy. So, 
when when people are asking me like aren't you going to be lonely the answer is well not as long as i can be intimate with my friends and with my family um as long as i can still manage to um cultivate that same intimacy that um, is often found in marriage um, with my friendships and my really close relationships um, I have everything I need so it's well put thank you mm -hmm. thank you for being open and vulnerable and for being open to this dialogue, for inviting this dialogue to talk about um, this incredibly intimate and personal part of yourself that, mm. that has so much potential to comfort so many people and to create solidarity with people who feel completely alone. Mm -hmm. And for having the courage to take a really um, uh, isolating position on this topic and not letting that be an excuse to not press into intimacy and care and love with the people around you and, and even publicly. Mm. Um, I admire you, you deeply. And, and I also admire your openness to reflect on this now and have an open hand for how this will continue to evolve and change for the future. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll do another one of these in 20 years and, <laughs> and have different conversations. Side by side disproving every <laughs> single thing I said. <laughs> no. I mean, that's, that's such a high expectation of everything just crystallized in this mm -hmm. solid thing. It's like, we're in process, and, and I, I think I'm really thankful that you invited me into this space. So. Thank you for listening. Um, that has such a huge, huge impact on the way that I'm able to process through this and um, come to the conclusions that I've come to. Um, so I've been really thankful for you. Me too. And cut. And that's a wrap. <laughs>